The following program is for adult audiences only. In this episode, Rick and myself discuss the power of suggestion when it comes to paranormal occurrences. A couple finds $120,000, which sparks a shopping spree. A man brings a sword to a gunfight. A four-eared cat has the best hearing in the world. And headless humans were once a recognized race. Yes, that's right. Creature of the Week brings on the drool with the legendary Chupacabra. And this week's Ghost Watch continues trailing Peter Underwood. All of that and so much more right here on this week's Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk. And welcome one and all to another edition of the Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk and TV. We are your hosts with the most ghosts, Stephen Lancaster and myself, Rick Hale. Hey, Stephen, how are you? It's great. It's good to be here. This is a very significant show, you know, so you guys make sure you listen to everything because it's like Rick said, listening to this show is like having an orgasm. After about 30 (laughs) seconds, you're just ready for bed. I have never said that, but um, you know what? I, I'll take I'll, actually I'll take credit. Yeah, we got we got a lot in store this episode. But before we do, we do want to uh, thank Amazon Music and Red Circle for choosing us to be the spotlight uh, from September nineteenth for two weeks over at Amazon Music. It's it's amazing. And, you know, actually, I kind of want to use this to segue into that a little bit. So, you know, I, I want to give a shout out to um, to a listener. His name's Ryan. He's a friend of mine. Um, so it, it's and it's kind of amazing that that this is happening with Amazon, because I really honestly thought there were like two listeners, some dude in Saskatoon, <laughs> Canada and your mom. Right. So, right. But so thank you for listening, Ryan. And thank you to Amazon and Red Circle for uh, giving this to us. This is awesome. So for those of you who are discovering us for the first time, this is a different kind of paranormal show. Mm -hmm. Rick and I are veteran paranormal investigators, researchers. We're both authors of the paranormal. And uh, you pretty much got to have a thick skin if you're going to listen to us. We're brutally honest when it comes to the paranormal. We don't bow down to the commercialism and the fascism. And the competition and communities. Fashion. So uh, if you're not into any of that stuff, you're going to love it here. And yeah. if not, you probably want to turn around right now. But with that being said, new listeners, this is a podcast. You can watch it. You can actually watch the visual version or the TV version of this show yeah, you at can YouTube. Look at us. Yes, at YouTube, at youtube.com slash label 13 videos or just go to shadowinitiativetv.com if you want to watch the visual version if not you can stick to the podcast man i wouldn't want to look at us no you know (laughs) unfortunately i got to do it every week so yeah um so hey you know i just want to say this before we get started so congratulations to you and your lovely wife christina on your anniversary how long you guys been married you know rick i kind of i kind of view that kind of how we view how we age dogs you know how like every one year is seven years is going to want to want to hear that but for for a dog well we've been married for about three centuries (laughs) (laughs) it feels like so so you know with, with with your anniversary all i can say is is this one is you know one congratulations to my wife was absolutely wrong about you you are not the kind of guy that has to pay for sex no, see, see, you know, I get a bad rap, man. It, and it's <laughs> it's been a great couple weeks. I got a new grandson. My yes. my newer or older grandson Tanner turned seven this weekend. We're having a seven. big party wow. for him. 
you know, the man that they said would never see past the age of two. That's right. My grandson is paranormal all his own. And, you know, getting new guitars, Star Wars cabinets, anniversary, man, my birthday. Oh, yeah. Happy you birthday, know, I just too. turned 33 last week. He is know? a lying sack of shit, ladies and gentlemen. He is 45. Lies. Lies. <laughs> I, I go again. <laughs> I have a different uh, a measurement for age when it comes to <laughs> elusive and very sexy paranormal investigators. So you kind of go backwards. Like for me, once you hit forty, you start you you start aging backwards. So it's you you have so you have Benjamin Button syndrome. Kind of, kind of. Whoa. Okay. So hey, um, speaking of time. You know, before we get to our topic, I wanted to, uh, I found this this morning, this morning, and I wanted to cover this, um, found this at, uh, Justin Brown's Facebook page. He's a friend of mine on Facebook. And this is really interesting, Stephen, because this is something that I've oftentimes thought about. And so he writes, let's assume consciousness survives the death, survives death and takes on the form of a spirit that can haunt a location. A lot of people find it hard to believe that someone wouldn't hang around one place for years or indefinitely. With that being said, what if time from the spirit's perspective doesn't exist? In that case, they could remain indefinitely without growing tired of it while years go by for us. Thoughts? Question mark. Now, you know, I, I know that we oftentimes hear that time is an agreed upon construct that it doesn't really exist, but it feels like it exists for all of us. But in the spirit realm, you know, why should time exist? You're dead. Who cares? What, what are your thoughts on that, bud? Well, there, there's a couple takeaways from that comment or suggestion or theory. Um, I do like the fact that if a consciousness survives, because I'm a firm believer that it does, Mm -hmm. um however i'm not so sure you know time may stand still you know like hey i don't have to be at work or the sun doesn't come up but here here's my argument with that mm -hmm. is if you are a spirit and you're observing let's say you're haunting my house you're observing time on a daily basis sure right you know what I'm saying? You're seeing our morning, our night, our going to work. You know, you're you're seeing everything. You're seeing nothing but math, time. You know, mm -hmm. our days are nothing but math in the living world when right. you break it down. So I don't think the loss of the concept of time. I don't think that's that. I don't think there's no loss of time. Um, I just don't think there's any reason for it. There's a big difference. There's there's time that's real, you know, like, you know, like right now it's mm -hmm. 1004 Eastern 904 your time, you know, but then there's just the concept of time. So the concept of time, like when I die, I'm fully aware of time. Mm -hmm. And if I'm haunting you or I'm haunting my wife, I, I fully understand time. So I don't right. know. It doesn't it doesn't seem like anything that a lot of thought needs to be put into. Yeah. See, the thing is, is like, I, I agree with that. It's like, it's not that time doesn't exist. It's just that time doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Like who gives a shit? You're dead. You got nowhere to be. You got nothing to do. Right. So it's, you know, it's, I always think to myself, it's like one of the, you know, longest theories, I guess, you know, for lack of a better term or ideas or suggestions in psychical research is that, um, spirits they don't know that they're dead so it's like if your consciousness if your intelligence that has survived the death of the body how can you not know that right you're dead right you see let, let's say you're living in a 1000 year old castle and there's plenty of those that still exist across you know europe the united kingdom whatever and you notice like that there's the, the clothes on people, they've made updates to the castle. There's like electricity now. Mm -hmm. There's cars that you see. I, I just don't, I don't think that it's like they don't know that they're dead. They just don't care. 
Yeah. It's like they understand that, you know, their body has ceased to exist and now they head off into this um, spirit realm. Yeah. It's, it's your existence now is infallible. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's no concept. There's no reason to care about time. There's no, no, but, but I truly believe your education continues. You know, that's what I find funny right. with some of these ghost shows. You know, they're talking to spirits like they're two years old. Like, oh, this device won't hurt you. Well, I, right. I, know, I know what that device is. I've been watching you guys. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's like I've always said, like with Norman the doll. He may have been a child when he inhabited the doll, but right, right. Me- mentally by now, simply by observation, knows everything I know, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that kind of leads to a brief thing we can touch base on is I think the word haunt is, is used too much to categorize certain things, because to me, haunting leads to scary. Right, right, right. When, yeah, when you say your song haunting the chapel, right? You know? you know, when you think, Oh, I've got a haunted house, immediately scary comes mm-hmm. to mind. So, I think more people need to use, start using the terminology spiritually inhabited. I like that. You know what I, I mean? Because there, there could be, I think there's spirits all around us all the time, but they're not mm-hmm. haunting the place. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm going to totally haunt a place, man. Oh, I like, am too. Gonna, I can't like, wait. I, I am going to fuck with people so hard. You know, like one of those things that I, I'm constantly giving thought to is like, you know how like certain people, they like their um, their toilet paper on the roll. Like right. some people like it over or some people like it under. If I'm haunting a location, I'm going to turn that, that around, man, every single time. And they're going to be like, who's doing this? And they're going to freak the fuck out. See, I'm going to open stuff and then move stuff around. It's going to be so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to be a couple ghostly sociopaths is what's going to happen. <laughs> anyway. So with that being said, we've got a really cool topic that, that I don't think many people consider. And it's probably because they don't want to, because it's one of those topics that can lead to busting your paranormal. And as we've learned, uh, people don't want their paranormal busted. No, they do not. So, Rick, when we talk yes. about influence, mm-hmm. you know, there are, are things that influence for the better, like the, the ghost hunters that you and I idolized growing up, you mm-hmm. know, reading Hans Holzer, reading Peter Underwood, you know, uh, Barry Taff stuff, you know, experiments from him, Dr. Sure. Barry Taff, you know, th- I would consider that influence. But there's also a negative side. So I'll just beat it. I'll just go right to the punchline here. Okay. Would there be as much talk about ghosts and hauntings? And would many people, as just as many people now, would they consider their house haunted if the TV shows didn't exist? Um, you know what? I'm going to go with yes. On that only because it's like, let's face it, man, you know, paranormal activity hauntings has been a part of the human experience for as long as, you know, for time immemorial, as long as anybody can remember. The thing is, it's like, let's say back in the 1950s or mm-hmm. even prior to the great paraboom of 2004, as I like to call it, um, People knew that they lived in, you know, stigmatized properties. I I kind of like that. It's like a legal term Um, in haunted houses. They just didn't talk about it because, you know, they're like, well, I'm going to be called crazy. It's like, you know, like I like sometimes joke where, you know, back in the 1990s, people would find out, oh, you're a ghost hunter. What are you nuts? Today, I still get the what are you nuts? But then they pull me aside and they're like, oh, hey. I got a story to tell you. So it's like, yay for progress. But yeah, I think that people still knew that they lived in um, in a haunted property. It's just that the great paraboom of 2004 that created paranormal land, as we like to call it here at the Shadow Initiative, um, it kind of opened up, you know, saying for, you know, for people to say that it's okay to say they live in a haunted house. Now, I agree with you with that part of your statement. 
that that it, it made it less taboo to talk about it. Mm-hmm. It made it more acceptable. It's water cooler talk now, man. I mean, you can right. be in a restaurant and hear somebody talking about something paranormal now, you know, where before people just didn't openly talk about that stuff. So I agree with you there. However, I do think there are a large portion of these hauntings that aren't even really happening. It's just the influence from the TV shows. And what I mean by that, people don't realize how influence can subconsciously affect your body. Oh, sure. And a perfect example, you know, uh, of course, there's adults that do the same thing. But we'll talk about kids and teenagers. They see that first horror movie, right? Mm-hmm. The one they're not supposed to see. They're sneaking it with their buddies at a sleepover. You know, I think my my first one was uh, Trilogy of Terror. Um, Mine was the, Psycho. Scared with, the shit out of me. Okay, with the little tiki puppet, you know. And, and that influenced me, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, it affected my daily routine. Like I wasn't walking into anywhere dark. I was wouldn't even consider going to the basement after seeing that movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I can remember seeing uh, the movie Troll, sadly, <laughs> in the 80s. And I was terrified to go to my basement because sure. I believed that that thing was down there. Pansy. So that's the point that I'm getting at. Right. So when you have ghost hunters, when you have people like Zachy, everything's a demon, everything's out to harm you, you know, I think that plays a part in how people view what's going on at their house. Because the, oh. fir- the first impression is never welcoming it with open arms unless you're freaks like you and me, you know, it, it's because this is what we do. We want to research that kind of thing. You know, so yes, awesome. We're welcoming it with open arms. But I think people's first initial response is terror. They're scared. Did you see that door close? Oh, my God, please don't hurt me. But they're thinking like that because of what they see on TV. Oh, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, there when I was, you know, we're more out there investigating, you know, hauntings, you know, for lack of a better term, inhabited properties, we'll say. Um, I, I would actually have people say a couple of different things to me. They would ask me, do you think what's in my house is evil? Well, no, I don't. I just think it's something trying to reach out and say hi. Or two, you know, we have to live with this ghost. So could you not come in here and use harsh words and harsh language and even swear words at it? It's like, I would never dream of doing anything like that. Um, So it's like, yes, there is that influence there where people think that that's what we actually do. And it's just not. Um, I like to tell people that my job is to observe, document, and report. I'm not coming to your house as a believer, and I'm not coming to your house as a non-believer. I'm coming there primarily to just observe, document, and report. Anything else is just for ratings, and I'm not a television show, obviously. Right, right. We're Shadow Initiative Paranormal Talk and TV our way. Independently streaming, whether you like it or not. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I I think think people, they, they... there's a negative side to it where they don't want to believe, oh, no, it had nothing to do with the fact that I just watched Ghost Adventures. Mm-hmm. You know, well, why are you acting just like Zach? You sure. didn't before. Right. You, you know what I mean? So, I, and, and, and we all have those influences. Like, I have a terrible problem that I've had ever since I was a kid. You talk and too I, much. It, well, yes. And that's what leads <laughs> to this is... I, I think it's because I'm a creative person. Mm-hmm. Um, I subconsciously, and, and and I've had to like make myself aware of this. People mm-hmm. used to think I were I, I was making fun of them, but I wasn't. It was this subconscious thing where if somebody with a different kind of dialect or or uh, accent, I met them or I started talking with them, I started to talk like them. Really? Like, if you know, if I was around somebody from the UK, all of a sudden I would start to develop the British accent in a very poor redneck version, you know, 
and, and or the way somebody enunciates things. I Ever since I was you, I, I have yet to hear you say like uh, dis and doze and day. <laughs> but that's because I'm con- I, I'm conscious of it now. Yeah, you know I'm yeah. conscious of it now. But and people are like, "Are man, are you making fun of my voice?" No, I'm not. It's just like I can copy anything. You know, I think that's the musician coming out at me. I hear something and I can do it. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? And, and and influences happen, man. You know, we watch a great movie, or especially when you're a kid, you know, and you just watch The Goonies. Dude, mm-hmm. 90% of us were outside trying to find buried treasure after that. Absolutely. I, I know. I know I was. You know, or we were thinking our neighbor was a a, a, a vampire. You know, because we just watched the Lost Boys, you know, I mean, influence happens. And that's when you've got to step back and think, okay, what is powering me to do this the way I'm doing it? And what is fueling me to believe that I have something sinister in my house? You need to I think you need to take that step back, reevaluate it. And that's where a, a fresh set of eyes typically helps. Well, I think that you would agree with this, you know, um, and then and then we'll, you know, get away from the influence of television and the influence of other things. Um, So I I think that you would agree with this. Prior to the great paraboom of 2004, the word demon was rarely ever mentioned. And if it was mentioned, it was mentioned in a religious context. Um, It was something that was handled primarily by the Catholic Church or, you know, some other clergy. So it wasn't really anything that people in our um, field of expertise ever really dealt with. Um, like the very first investigation I ever did was, I believe, was a poltergeist. And mm-hmm. the entity that appeared was a thought projection or a thought form created by the focus of this, of this um, energy. Now, I tell that story to people now. And they're like, oh, well, that was a demon. No, it wasn't a demon. So back then in the early 1990s, and and even before then, obviously, that term was rarely ever used. But now, because of the influence of such things as, you know, uh, mass media and paranormal land, that has kind of like shifted. However, I think that people are starting to kind of come away from that a little bit more. Yeah, people are growing up. Yeah. Because because honestly, uh, it, it, you can't say it across the board, but a large portion of the wrong side of paranormal research is the younger crowd. It is. Now, there there is older crowd that, not like you and me, that had been doing it prior to these shows, mm-hmm. but you can definitely see the difference. In researchers and investigators who were doing it before the big TV boom to now, the people who just started doing it because of the TV boom, two totally different groups of people. Well, I have found that a lot of people who are new to this, um, you know, younger in their you know late teens or early 20s, they don't like listening to people like us. They call what we do is they consider it to be gatekeeping. And it's like, I'm not gatekeeping. I'm trying to teach you um, a more effective way of doing this rather than what you've seen in, you know, the mass media of paranormal land. And it's, I'm trying to teach you, I'm trying to show you, I'm trying to mentor you. And people who are new to this and and young, they just, they don't want to listen to that. No, it's ego. Yeah. And they're, they're doing themselves an amazing disservice by completely abandoning this um this older way of doing things and i'm not i'm not going to say well what i do is right and what they do is wrong i'm not saying that it's just that if you want a more complete approach you have to bring the old guard in with the new guard mix them together and then i think that you have a more effective way of um investigating and doing research in this in this field I agree, Rick. And with that being said, for you well, folks no, out there, oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, I wanted to get away from television and talk about something else, you know, that does influence people. Um, Halloween is yes. coming up very soon. And, 
you know, everybody knows I make it no, you know, huge secret. I am an absolute Halloween fan, always have been. Um, but I have noticed something and other other researchers and investigators have noticed this too, that when spooky season comes around, they get more people calling about investigations in their homes or in their businesses, or uh, there's an uptick in paranormal tourism with, you know, taking tours and stuff like that. And um, I think that that is a huge influence as well, um, which is actually, when you think about it, is more fun. That, that, that's a fun influence right there. You know, you watch the old horror movies or even the new ones. Um, you go on these ghost tours. It, and it's a, I think that that is more of the lighter side of influence. It's, it's fun. Well, I think these things, and it's very similar. I mean, when, when we hit the Halloween season, the fall, the stuff is everywhere. Scary images are everywhere, you know, yeah. and you have to ask yourself, would you have thought that if you hadn't just watched that? Or would you have thought that if you hadn't just heard this ghost story from somebody, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of things you, you're witnessing for the first time, you know, people forget that there is a first time for everything. Sure. That's why, that's why old music will never go away. New babies are born every day. So Mm -hmm. that means somebody is, is hearing Metallica for the first time or typo negative for the first time, you know, and, and deciding whether they're like or not. So that influence is always going to be there. And I think with Halloween too, you, you, you could, you could also, consider energy because the paranormal field is just wrapped in energy man everything sure. leads to energy and when everybody is putting out that kind of energy it's not too hard to believe that that can amp up actual paranormal activity or you have you, spirits that are people like you and me that would use it to our benefit oh you just watched nightmare on elm street guess what i'm about to do buddy (laughs) you know i mean come on we that's just what would happen but um anyways all right was that what all you wanted to do with that that's all i wanted to do with that i wanted to talk about halloween a little bit now it does influence uh people's perceptions and it does. And uh, Rick is right. So with that being said, you you guys and gals out there who are new listeners to this podcast, again, you can watch a visual version of it at youtube.com slash label 13 videos, because many times we are showing actual evidence. We're showing pictures, um, stuff like that, things you may want to see. Um, this shows about segments. We have a segment called Haunted Salvage that I do every so often that covers a haunted object. We show footage. We show footage from investigations. We have a, a segment that Rick does called Ghost Watch. We have Creature of the Week, where we cover something cryptozoological. And we also have one of our favorite new additions, Love News it. of the Weird. That's right. And here at the Shadow Initiative, we like looking at those stories that don't really get um, the time that they deserve in the mainstream media. They're strange. They're weird. Um, peculiar, I guess you could say. And today we have what? Three, four of them? Four. Four. Which, so, which leads us into Creature of the Week where we've got right. two. Two Creatures of the Week. Yeah. So let's get this started. Uh, this is another story from... Um, America's dick-shaped state <laughs> where all the weirdness seems to happen. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Florida. So Florida man pulls a three-foot sword on deputies during a traffic stop. This comes from News Channel 8, which is down in Florida, presumably. So this guy actually brings, you know, you, you sometimes you're like, oh, you brought a knife to a gunfight, you know? No, this guy brings a sword to a gunfight and pulls it on cops. Um, this This story is amazing. So it comes out of Tampa, Florida. It says a North Fort Myers man was arrested after he pulled a three foot 
long sword on Lee County deputies during a traffic stop, according to reports. NBC affiliate WBBH reported that 34-year-old Randy Osterman of North Fort Myers was stopped by deputies as he parked his Nissan Altima, uh, partially blocking a bicycle lane. As deputies approached, they found Osterman reclined in the driver's seat. When deputies asked Osterman to step out of his vehicle, he reached towards the center console and pulled out a three-foot steel sword. The news outlet reported deputies immediately backed off as Osterman attacked a attached a metal dragon-shaped handle to the base of the blade. The deputies tried to use their tasers but were unsuccessful in stopping Osterman, who began to stick the sword out of his windows at deputies. Osterman was eventually incapacitated as he tried to flee through the vehicle's passenger side door. Like, holy shit, man. I, you know what? I, I, I've always kind of wanted to be in law enforcement. Like being a cop, I always thought was kind of a cool job, you know, as long as you're like, you know, a good cop and you're doing the right thing. But it's like, could you imagine you, you roll up on this guy and it's like the only thing he's really doing is blocking a bicycle path. Now we have that here in the Chicago land area. We have plenty of those places here. So it's like most people are like, oh yeah, oh sure, no problem. I'm really sorry about that. Allow me to move. This dude pulls out a three foot long sword and attaches a dragon shaped hilt to it. I mean, this is this story is like this is the most Florida story. There is only one thing that could be more Florida if he came out swinging the sword while riding on an alligator that's the only thing that could make that any more florida <laughs> well dude it's like when you look at this guy you just don't you just don't picture a a, a swords person a swordsman <laughs> i picture him throwing beer cans at the cop you know yeah. not not pulling out pipe, a you know? dragon sword <laughs> i mean <laughs> You got to give it to him, but you know, I, I would have, you got to love that ambition, man. I mean, did, did he, was he living out some like fantasy? There can be only one. I'm Connor <laughs> right. McLeod of the clan McLeod, you know, and, and, you know, but for me, you know, I, I too thought it would have been cool to be a detective, you know, the forensics mm -hmm. thing and all that. But for me, I don't have any patience. And I, I think I'd have went all Indiana Jones on him when he started like swinging that sword. I just been like, just pulled out the pistol. You're done. I don't I mean, got time for this. It's it's like, what do you think is going to happen? Of course, they're going to take it away from you. But this guy is lucky that they just did not light his ass up yes. with bullets, man. I mean, it's like, dude, all you're doing is blocking a bicycle path. Move your shitty car so bicycles can get through. Don't pull out three foot swords and start swinging them at the cops. Well, the real question here is, why does he carry this sword around in his car? There's more to this story. There's mm. more to this story. Maybe he is, you know, an immortal. And he's, you know, out there lopping heads off so he can, you know, be the only one. Who knows? I'm highly unlikely, of course. But, yeah, I mean, that is definitely the most Florida story you could possibly think of. Excellent. So what, what do you got next, Rick? So this one is really cool because there is not a single one of the uh, of us who has ever thought seriously about this. Um, one day you wake up and in your bank account is hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? So, you know, Stephen, let me ask you something. What would you do? And be honest with me. What would you do if you woke up and found, say, 120 grand in your bank account? Well, this actually has happened to me. Really? Not, not that amount of money. Uh, this was 2005, 2006. I know I was living in Myrtle Beach at the time, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Okay. And I got up one morning, went, went to my online banking, and I saw about $8,000, two different um, deposits had been dropped, and they were federal deposits. This was around tax time. Whoa. Okay. So somebody wrote the wrong account number down. It was like a digit or two off and it was my account. And I saw this fucking money. And I was like, Whoa, <laughs> dude, honestly, the very first thing I did was Google. Does that mean it's mine? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like what are the repercussions of this? And of course I did not find the answer I was looking for. 
So I went to the bank that morning and I told them, hey, this isn't my money. And they ended up finding out who it belonged to and transferred it back out. That's how I handled my situation. These two assholes, on the other hand, did not. <laughs> right, exactly. So this is this is amazing. And, and it immediately made me think of the Family Guy episode where Peter loses his job at the brewery. And... Um, he gets his social security and they, they overpay him. So here, th this, this comes from the U.S. Sun. Um, it says, banking it. Couple spent $120,000 on cars, quad bikes, and pals in a two-week spree after money was accidentally paid into their account. A couple splurged cash on cars, quad bikes, and friends after $120,000 was paid into their account by mistake. So Robert and Tiffany Williams from Pennsylvania, which is kind of like, you know, Florida of the North, went on a two-week spending spree after noticing the accidental transfer. And they, get, they, they give like a picture of these uh, geniuses right here. This is, this is amazing. Um, rather than notifying the bank, they bought an SUV, two quad bikes, a camper, a race car, and even dished out 50 large to pals. That's right, $15,000 to their friends. By the time the blunder was spotted three weeks later, the pair had already spent around $107,000. Staff from the BBT, BBNT Bank contacted Tiffany, but she reportedly told them she had used the money to pay off bills. She said they would work out a repayment plan, but stopped communicating after two phone calls, prompting the bank to call the police. Before the cash was accidentally sent to them, instead of investment from Dimension Covington Investment, they had just $1,121 in their account. The money was deposited on May 31st, 2019, and was withdrawn by June 20th. So we're going to leave it right there. All right. So this couple, it's like you should they should have immediately called the bank and been like, hey, look, where did this hundred and twenty large come from? It's obviously not ours. But no, they took the path of we're going to spend this fucking money. <laughs> we're going to buy everything we've ever wanted and only have a grand left, a little over a grand left. And it's like, I'm sorry, but if these two people, they go to jail for this. They got it coming to them. They deserve well, it. You know, it's not like it was 20 bucks, you know, and, and you went out and got you a happy meal. You exactly. Know? This, this was a lot of fucking money. And, and the more disturbing part about it is BB and T. It's like this went unnoticed for a month. It yeah. went unnoticed before they started, you know, and once they started spending it is when it got noticed. But right. it's like, dude, this went on a month. So not only did the bank not know, but the people who who actually <laughs> own the money, they didn't notice either. Right, so how right. much money do those people actually have that they didn't notice that $120,000 was missing? Yeah. You know what I'm exactly. saying? Exactly. Now, I mean, to, that, to, that is a significant amount of money. Now, now to answer your question again, okay, I told you what I did when it happened to me. Now, mm -hmm. if I woke up and I saw, let's say, $10 million, mm -hmm. I'd be British by the end of the day. <laughs> I ain't going to lie. First thing I'd do, be a plane ticket and transfer that to an overseas account. I'm British, buddy. Well, I mean, we, 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 you know, we have treaties with Britain that if, you know, if no goes over there, they get, no there, there is no, there's no extradition, really? No, no oh, extradition. Shit, man. Then you know what? I'm buying myself a haunted castle. Dude, that's <laughs> why people flee to Amsterdam. And that's why people open these, like you see in the movies, these uh, Swiss bank accounts, you know, because mm -hmm. you can't get the money back. It's non, non, no extraditing, man. Sure. So, so yeah. yeah. Now, here's what I would do. I, I I would immediately report it because I would not last two minutes in prison. I'm too pretty. Look at me. So, all right. What do you got, Stephen? God <laughs> knows. 
wish I had some kind of pill to take after that. Okay. <laughs> that, this first one's just a little quick story. It's about a little kitty named Aww. named Midas. Like the oh, Midas touch. Okay? okay. This cat began her life as a stray mm-hmm. in, in some backyard in Turkey, man. Okay. In Turkey. But she was discovered by the Dosmeca family. We'll just say the Dosmeca family. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Well, they named the kitten Midas after the ancient Greek myth of King Midas, who the god Apollo cursed with donkey ears. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Unlike the king's abnormality, Midas the cat's extra ears were caused by a genetic mutation that luckily has no negative impacts on little kitty's health. In fact, all four ears work. They all have ear canals. They are working ears, bro. Working ears. And you guys can see the picture on the screen of this four-eared little kitty. That's, you know, that could be a blessing and a curse. Sure, sure. You know? Because, I I mean, I'm cursed with just two ears having to listen to you. If I had to listen to that in surround sound... No. Oh man, yeah. I mean, just I would be pulling a Van Gogh. A... I'd be pulling a Van Gogh in a second. There you go, cutting these bitches off. <laughs> so yeah, so th- this is a perfect segue to our creature of the week, or should I rather say, creature? Oh wait, wait, of the week. Oh no, no, wait, oh there's wait, more. Wait, there's more. But wait, okay. there's more. I told okay. you we were having some awesome segue in the creature of the week. All Rick, right. th- this was actually a new one for me. And I'm going to take you back to 5th century B.C. Okay. Our cryptid that you've never heard of, that I had never heard of, and probably most of our listeners have never heard of, the Headless Blimeys. I have heard of that, yes. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay, Rick. These Uh creatures like this, they... The, um, they they were part of the folklore of like England and Ireland and Scotland and all that. But go ahead, man. Jeez, God knows everything. He's that guy. He's that guy. The guy I'm that's like, that oh, nerd. I've seen that movie. Oh, I've done that. Oh, I've been there. I am that nerd. But no, go go ahead, man. I'm I'm going. I'm going. Okay. People believed that this. Uh, we'll call them a, a a tribe. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, they believed in them so bad. Uh, this actually took place in, it, it wasn't where you were talking about, but, but but I'll get to that. Okay, let's talk about what they look like as we put these pictures on the screen. They are reported to have their eyes on their shoulders mm-hmm. and their mouths in the middle of their chest. And a long train of hair growth kind of backward between their shoulders. Now, when it comes to cryptozoology, Rick... A handful of staple creatures always seem to get the attention, as you and I know more than anybody. We, mm-hmm. you know, Sasquatches, water monsters like Nessie and Champ, aliens, and of course, Mothman, you know, and what we're going to be talking about later. But the Blimeys are a race of headless humans who always conveniently manage to exist outside of the realm of discovery and civilization. Although it sounds surreal, Headless blimeys were once considered a bona fide group of people thriving along the frontiers of discovery, my friend, close Mm -hmm. enough to make occasional appearances, but distant enough to prevent them being disproven. Okay, so they haven't really been proven either way, but they were believed between their humanoid appearances and their ability to appear and disappear. I guess they kind of have a lot in common with Bigfoot more than more than we know, but they had so much document documentation on these creatures, Rick, that people remained convinced that they existed uh, for centuries. Like they even put uh, on their maps, like their, their early maps that they would make the areas that the, the blimeys lived. Mm -hmm. Okay. To you avoid these areas, why they made them threatening. I don't know, because there's nothing I could find that, that made them threatening. But it makes you think again, and then we'll move on. 
it could have been a genetic mutation. There, there are people who are born without necks, so to mm-hmm. speak, which is going to bring their heads down the here. Um, yeah, look at look at uh, look look at Corpse Grinder, man. George Corpse Grinder Fisher from Cannibal Corpse. That dude has no neck. Mike Tyson. Yeah, that's why you can't ever knock him out. Can't knock somebody out who doesn't have a neck. <laughs> anyway, you know, so all of these scholars, man, from that that period of time, believed him to be real. Now, again. We've got to consider the intelligence of man back mm-hmm. then. Could have been deformities, could have been hallucinations. Um, who knows? I mean, or do mi- you or misidentification? And you know, we've got to misidentification, or we got to consider evolution. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the human species has changed and evolved for millions of years. Sure. I mean, what what are your thoughts? Do you think a race of humans with no heads existed? No, uh, you know, because it's like you, you kind of have to consider like this was back still during a time when, you know, certain people still thought gods were in control of, you know, things like weather and, and tides and all that. And a lot of these people, you know, they claim to be traveling to these distant lands when they really weren't. I mean, we're, we're talking like this is um, a lot of these were early fantasy and science fiction tales. Uh, you hear like stories about, you know, the, the Cyclops uh, that, that lived in, in Sicily. And a lot of people now believe that it's not that they had one eye, but they had like these, they had like one big eyebrow that kind of gave it that appearance. Mm-hmm. So it's like a lot of these things, they were just, they were part of myth, part of folklore. A lot of people lying their asses off saying that they'd been to these faraway lands when really they never left their village yeah, it was like 30 minutes down the street yeah exactly, exactly. it just took forever to get there you know there, there wasn't any development their own foot that kind of thing but I, I don't know i mean even today rick people are born with two heads you know there this are people out there alive that you know these conjoined twins we know that as a medical condition mm-hmm. but back then what would that be a monster you know well, that that was going to be my second thought on that that yeah like you, you know you brought up um evolutionary mutations or whatever um yeah of course of course that happens and you know back then it, the, the people people back then you know in the 10th 11th 12th century whatever or back you know 500 years um bce um you know they lived very much in fear of the land mm-hmm. and their surroundings um so yeah, I mean, they saw something strange and they're like, oh, my God, I'm going to call that demonic or, oh, my God, I'm going to call that a monster. That's just how it was. Well, with that being said, Rick, let's officially move to this week's Creatures of the Week. So the first one that I have presented here actually comes from Newsweek, um, and it's a mystery deep sea shark with bulging eyes and teeth caught by fishermen. A striking and and we we there's a picture attached Mm -hmm. to this, and if you want to show our you know our viewers at home this picture, this thing is really fucking weird, man. Um, A striking deep sea shark with protruding teeth and large eyes has been caught by a fisherman in Australia prompting discussion over what species the mysterious animal belongs to. On September 12th, Facebook user Trapman Bermague, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, a Sydney-based fisherman posted a photo of what he said was the face of a deep-sea shark that has been caught at a depth of 650 meters, which is 2,133 feet underwater. Um, the shark has a distinctive appearance with rough looking skin, a pointed nose, large eyes, and a protruding set of sharp teeth. Within two days, the post has gained over 250 comments around 1,400 uh, likes. Looks very prehistoric, wrote one user. Wow, what a critter. So somebody actually suggested, uh, or several people suggested, that the shark appeared to be a cookie cutter shark a small cigar-shaped shark with a bulbous snout and distinctive lips. However, speaking to Newsweek via Facebook, 
Bermague had another explanation. Totally not a cookie shark, he said. It's a rough-skinned shark, also known as a species of Endeavor dog shark. So this is a shark that is rarely ever seen in the wild because it is, you know, it's 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 a deep sea shark. I mean, obviously people aren't going down, you know, uh, 1300 feet. And um, so having something like that come to the surface um, or at least close enough to the surface to catch it really is quite interesting. Um, people actually thought that, that that shark, the Endeavor shark was on the brink of extinction, but apparently it still exists in, in, off the coast of Australia. Well, that's the thing, you know, and I believe it said it in, in the in the article as well, alluding to there are species so deep into the sea. We don't even know what they are. We've never right. even seen them that they're they're discovering new species all the time, not only like in the jungles or in Antarctica or Alaska, but in the deepest depths of the sea. You know, mm -hmm. so th this isn't something that's a fluke. This is an actual real life animal. Right. Uh, that has friends, <laughs> whatever you want to <laughs> say. You know, it's not the only one. It's yeah. uh, in, in, in to my understanding that they they've seen them a few times, but it's very rare. Yeah, it's extraordinarily so, rare. You know, I, I think I, that's one of my favorite. Um, like when we go to aquariums and zoos and stuff like that. Um, cause we're big animal people. Um, mm -hmm. I love going into that section of an aquarium that shows all of those deepest of sea creatures, you know, the ones that glow and light up and, you know, that really wicked one that's got the little, little light bulb, I call it that hangs off. Of, you ever seen this fish, Rick? Yeah. An angler fish. Yeah. And he's got that, man, this thing just looks perfect and ready for a metal album. You know, it's 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 awesome. I love I love looking at those. It's there's something so surreal about those creatures. Well, have you ever been to the Shed Aquarium here in Chicago? No, no. If you ever come up here, uh, definitely take you there, knowing that you like that kind of stuff, because um, the Shed Aquarium has an just an just amazing exhibits. You know, with sharks and and stuff like that. It's really quite beautiful. So yeah, if you ever come up here, we'll take you there. Um, so this is leading us to our second creature of the week. And this is one of the most famous cryptids, the Chupacabra. Now I love the Chupacabra. This is like uh, Latin America's version of Bigfoot. Now my aunt who lived in Puerto Rico from about 1991 to just a few years ago, because uh, my, my uncle is a, a native Puerto Rican, my uncle Basilio, or Doc as we call him, um, I asked her about the chupacabra. And she said that, oh yeah, people really do believe this animal or monster or creature exists. And um, it caused quite a bit of stir, you know, during, during its time, you know, terrorizing the uh, Puerto Rican countryside. So now originally it goes back to about 1995 when people started seeing this animal. Okay. And they described it as being very alien looking, kind of uh, demonic or um, looking very lizard, like with long fangs, you know, lizard type skin and spikes down its back. So in 1975, a series of livestock kill killings in the small town of Mocha was attributed to El Vampiro de Mocha, the vampire of Mocha. Additionally, it was suspected that the killings were committed by a satanic cult. Later, more killings of animals um, were reported around the island and many farms reported loss of animal life. Each of the animals have reported to have had its body bled dry through a series of small circular incisions. So that is like originally the very first mention of this creature, but they attribute it more to it's, you know, a vampire rather than something like the Chupacabra. So you jump ahead to about March of 1995 and this thing, whatever it is that, that people are seeing is just attacking animals left and right, killing dogs, killing chickens, killing cats, mostly going after goats, which, you know, where it gets its name, El Chupacabras, which means the goat sucker. So this is an animal that people really believe exists. However, there's a different kind of chupacabra. So we go from 
Puerto Rico here to the mainland United States where people are seeing a much different kind of animal. It's more dog-like looking. Um, it's lost its, you know, skin that looks like something from a uh, from a fish or from a lizard and is more canine looking. But it has a huge head and huge teeth. And people have actually, well, they claim to have caught these animals. Most of the time, though, this chupacabra that they claim to have caught um, turns out to be, you know, like a, um, um, a coyote or a wolf with mange or a dog with mange. But there have been some catches where it's like, mm, that's not what this is. And we really don't know what it is. But, you know, the chupacabra uh, definitely is one of my favorite cryptids. Um, and it's kind of funny hearing from my aunt who's like, oh, yeah, people in Puerto Rico, they feared this thing. I mean, it would keep them up at night. Is the chupacabra going to attack? Are they going to start? Is it going to start killing people? Um, some theories concerning the chupacabra that it's an alien because Arecibo is there. And Arecibo was a big part of SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Some people believe that the chupacabra was an alien creature or an alien pet left behind. Other people believe that it is just an animal that has yet to be um, documented or categorized in, you know, zoology. Um, Stephen, what do you think concerning the uh, dreaded chupacabra? Well, you know, I, I enjoy the chupacabra just as much as the next guy. I'm a dog lover. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got seven of them. But, you know, you kind of said everything. Yeah, when It's funny because you kind of went the route I was going to go with it. It's like there's two different versions of it. There's that version that when you look at people's sketches, it looks extraterrestrial the stereotypical extraterrestrial guy, head guys. you know we've got spikes on the back you know the the lizard tongue fangs for sucking blood but then you have like you said the like just a, a mangy looking sick dog that's mm -hmm. got oversized teeth now again like we've said many times when it comes to these cryptozoological creatures we cannot rule out natural earthly mutations this yeah. happens. We just talked about it. Human beings are born with mutations. Animals are born with mutations. Uh, it's very possible that maybe at one point in history, there was a dog that was born with some kind of mutation or, or maybe some kind of reptile born with some kind of mutation. And bam, there you go. There's the birth of the chupacabra. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But like you said, there, there have been many kind of credible sightings you know, incredible video. Um, the carcasses I've seen, I just see a sick dog. Yeah. You know, but I, I don't know. You don't know, man. Uh, we're getting to the point now where it's like, okay, all of these cryptozoological creatures we've discussed for centuries, you know, is it time to put them to rest? You know, were they once a species that just kind of fizzled out like we've we've kind of talked about with um, uh, yeah, Nessie, you know, mm -hmm. was it had just been left over, you know, because when something goes extinct, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. Sure. There's always yeah. going to be a last one, right. you know, and that could be what sparks a lot of these myths and legends. Yeah. Well, you know, another thing, too, that I always like to say, it's still very much a big world, despite people trying to make it a small one. Um, there's still things that are being discovered every single day and not just, you know, bacteria or viruses or whatever. No, larger animals, fish, um, new kinds of apes, new kinds of birds, new kinds of spiders. So, you know, living in a very big world, who's to say that something like the chupacabra doesn't exist? But there is a video that I that I saw or that I have seen a number of times. Um, where it shows an animal, like a dog running and the dog turns its head and it's like, Whoa, <laughs> what the hell is this thing? It doesn't have like the face of any kind of wolf or coyote or dog that I've ever seen. So it's like, you know, Hey, I mean, maybe this could be a new species that is, you know, yet to be found. Maybe, maybe we have our own form of, uh, thylacine here in this country who knows yeah who knows so with that being said rick we are still trailing peter underwood with we ghost are. watch so yeah, why don't um, you uh do what you do 
Thank you. Uh, Trailing Peter Underwood, part four, Knights in Bovey Manor. I'm Rick Hale, and this is Ghostwatch. Not every trip to a haunted location involves an in-depth investigation. Sometimes it's just enough for a ghost hunter to walk through its doors and maybe even spend the night in one of its haunted rooms. Peter Underwood, ghost hunter and president of the Ghost Club, knew this all too well, especially when it came to his brief stay in haunted Bovey Manor. Currently, Bovey Manor, a grade two listed building in a hotel, can be found between two valleys in Seton, East Devon. Mentioned only briefly in the Doomsday Book of 1086, Bovey Manor was the ancestral home of the Walrond family for hundreds of years. During the reign of Henry VIII, the Walrons lost possession of the house in 1542 when the monarch gifted the house to Catherine Parr as part of her dowry. Thankfully, when Parr died from complications after childbirth, the Walrond clan regained possession of their house, where they lived for centuries more. When the Walrond line died out, smugglers took over the house and used it as a headquarters to engage in their illegal activity. One of the manor's most famous ghost stories is a horrific apparition of a headless woman said to stalk the grounds and corridors of Bovey Manor. The ghost story is typically rejected by ghost hunters as they believe it was made up by the smugglers to keep people away from discovering their illegal trade. Nevertheless, there does appear to be a legitimate spectral activity at this ancient manor home. Spectral activity that captured the attention of Britain's greatest investigator of hauntings, Mr. Peter Underwood. Upon arrival at Bovey Manor with his wife and Stuart and Frida Kiernander of the Ghost Club, Peter and his wife took up residence in the haunted blue room. As for the Kiernanders, they occupied the equally haunted King Charles room. When they entered the room, Peter and his wife quickly felt an uneasiness in the room and a thick, almost charged atmosphere. And both could make out the unmistakable scent of lavender that hung heavily in the air. According to the long-held stories of the Blue Room, the scent of lavender typically precedes the manifestation of a woman that has been seen in the room. So far, the ghostly tales of Bovey Manor were living up to their end of the bargain. As for Stuart and Frida, their experience in the King Charles room was more dramatic and frightening. Frida came face to face with the phantom cavaliers said to inhabit the King Charles room. While unpacking, the ghost suddenly appeared and gave Frida a stern look and then vanished before her eyes. Undoubtedly, an unnerving experience even for a seasoned ghost hunter. But are these the only ghosts that haunt Bovey Manor? Not hardly. On the roads surrounding Bovey, a phantom coach pulled by a team of black horses has been seen traveling at breakneck speeds, as if the devil himself was chasing it. The sudden appearance of the coach has almost caused a number of accidents that could very well have resulted in serious injury. The ghostly coach has been seen pulling up to the doors of Bovey Manor at all hours of the day. Those lucky enough to see the coach have watched as the door opens and a handsome couple dressed in Georgian-era clothing exits the coach. They walk up to the door and then abruptly vanish. The coach then rockets away and disappears into eternity. <coughs> Peter Underwood may not have actively investigated during his short stay at Bobby Matter, but he and his colleagues came away with some rather impressive ghost stories. I'm Rick Hale, and this was Ghostwatch. Great job, buddy. Thanks, bud. And speaking of Ghost Watch, old Ricky here, he isn't about so shameless self-promotion too much. He's got a new Ghost Watch book coming out when, my friend? Coming out sometime in October, definitely before Halloween. Um, the cover is being worked on right now by the brilliant artist in uh, Blackpool, UK, Mark Hetherington. He's the guy that did the last... Uh, two covers of my last two books, um, Behold, Shocking True Tales of Terror and Some Other Spooky Stuff, and Bullets, Booze, and Babes, The Haunted History of Chicago and Illinois. So be on the lookout for that. And if you want to check out those two books and my first book, 
which is the Geek's Guide to the Strange and Unusual Poltergeist Ghosts and Demons. You can find those at Amazon. And, you know, I just put my foot in my mouth because, as I just said, Rick's not really about the shameless self-promotion. And you can Mm. get this book. And you can get this book. And this one. We are all about shameless self-promotion here at The Shadow and the Shadow. Yeah, but our new listeners don't know that, Rick. But they know it now. Damn it, boy. You had one job. One job. But with that being said, guys, we hope we've gathered a lot of new listeners and you stick around. Facebook.com slash welcome to the initiative. Join us on Facebook. That's where uh, you can comment on all of our posts. You can tell us your stories. You can email us at shadowinitiativetalk at gmail.com. That's shadowinitiativetalk at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. We want to hear who do you want us to bring on the show? Yes, we do guess. Uh, What do you want us to talk about? Got a topic we haven't covered? Let us know. Do you have a ghost story? We are trying to gather up our listeners' ghost story for a special show at the end of October. And I'm thinking, Rick, that let's make it a contest. Oh. Yeah, let's make it a contest. You guys listening or watching at home could get a copy. I can't speak for Rick. We'll see if he speaks up. We'll get a copy of one of my books signed, personalized, and mailed to you. Okay? What we need is you to submit us your ghost story, something that happened to you, and we will read it on the air. We're going to do a whole episode of nothing but our listener ghost stories, and we will choose. What we think is the best, according to our made-up criteria, and there's the and there's the winner. Yeah, of course, I would I would get in on that. You know, signed copy of any one of my any one of my books that you are interested in. There you go, guys. So send us your ghost stories. We'll read them on the air in October. We will pick a winner, uh, maybe that episode, or maybe we'll, we'll let our listeners pick which story they liked the most. And that'll be our winner, and we'll send you our books signed for free, whichever one you want, because who really wants to pay money for our books? You know what I'm saying? So here's <laughs> a chance. Know. I'm constantly right. finding yours at like half price books, man. Yeah. Somebody loved it so much that they wanted to share it with everyone else at bargain prices. Hey, you're going to quit with that joke. Okay. That joke has run its course. Okay. This is like the sixth time. Hail. All folks, right. Folks, every time I visit like half price books, which is like, one of my favorite places in the world there. We, we have two that I go to around here and um, it never fails. I see Stephen Lancaster, one of his, one of his books or even all of his books sitting there on the sh- lovingly sitting there on the shelves, gathering dust. Hey, <laughs> hey never found any of my books, never found them. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to start buying your books just to donate them to thrift stores. What do you think now, Hale? And then I'll take pictures of them. Look at what I'll get them off of Amazon. I'll go to a thrift store. I'll set them all up. I'll put like 10 cent stickers on them and I'll take a picture of it. See, I'm okay with that because you're still spending money and, you know, buying my kids shoes. Thanks, Stephen. Well, with that being said... Guys, thanks again for tuning into our show. Again, if you're listening to the podcast and you want to watch it, hit us up on YouTube at youtube.com slash label 13 videos. Please, please join us on Facebook. We have a lot of fun there. We interact with our listeners on a daily basis. But with that being said, I think we're going to roll on out like it ain't no thing. I've never said that either. I didn't say that you did that time. See, it's not always about you, Rick. It's I <gasps> forgot. It's always about you, Stephen. Correct. Thank yes. you. Thank You're you. quite welcome. Thank so, you. hey, everybody, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. That sounds good to me.